Good morning and welcome. Thank you for braving the Arctic tundra that is Middle Tennessee. Uh, and there's, there's still a lot of ice in my neighborhood road, so I'm sure some of y'all had to drive through some of that. But, but thank y'all for being here. And if you're joining us online, assuming is the stream working after the great boom heard worldwide? Um, Thank you for joining us. We're really happy that uh, you're joining us. I hope that you are snuggled up with your family around a fireplace in the comfiest of PJs as, as you're joining us today. But thank you for tuning in. And man, a lot of, a lot of good stuff going on. A couple announcements to get to. Um, McLean Allen is going to get baptized after service today, which is really, really exciting. So uh, if you want to hang around a little bit afterwards, we'll get situated, but that's going to be happening after the service. And also, as a reminder, we do not have classes, adult classes, for today, so all the ones that were either continuing or going to start are pushed to next week, and that is a reminder that if you have children, to pick them up downstairs. <laughs> and lastly, I want to... Uh, showcase this for a second. So, this is very big and kind of hard to hold, but hopefully you can see it. This was made by Emily Lavender, and it is a uh, mixed media art piece, and I, I asked her to make it with revelation and, and imagery of heaven in mind, and it's really, really beautiful. Um, people of all tribes, tongues, and nations uh, crowned in royalty. Um, we have the sacrificial lamb and the crown of thorns. We have the tree of life here, a lot of the garden imagery of um, Revelation, uh, the gates of heaven. It's, it's really a beautiful piece, so if you get a chance, um, come by and look at it after service. Oh. But it's great. Thank you, Emily, so much. And Tim, was that a collaborative effort? or No, all Emily. Thank you, Emily, for, for doing that. One of my tendencies that is both a blessing and a curse is I am a human rabbit hole. What I mean by that is if you give me YouTube, I can go down these rabbit holes of information and digging deep on a topic that is so random and just pointless. I, I can look up stuff, it could be about how Patrick Mahomes reads defenses and just go down a rabbit hole of that. It can be the right way to install a dryer and it's like, well, which one is right? This one says to do this and this one says that. I can just keep going and going and going. And most recently this year, uh, me and Abby have been thinking that we're gonna buy a car in this calendar year. So I have just obsessed over researching stuff about vehicles. When before, I wouldn't even notice the cars I pass on the road. Now it's like I recognize 80% of the things that I see on the road. And I'm researching all sorts of stuff, like what's the list price? What's the depreciation? What's the safety? What's the comfort? What's the fuel efficiency? And not just any fuel efficiency, fuel efficiency for those who may have a lead foot. What is, would a six foot four person be able to fit in a vehicle like this? All, all these sorts of questions. And I've been researching so much random stuff, partially because there is so much information out there, but there's also so much conflicting information. It's hard to know what's true. It's hard to know what vehicle would be worth my time and energy and my money. And I think all of us are in the same boat about wondering what in life is truly worth it. We all spend time searching or researching things 
that we think would be fulfilling, that we think would be actually good for us. So this morning, if, if you're dealing with some ongoing health issue, one that has not been healed, or one that you don't have the answers for what's actually going on, I would imagine that you've spent a lot of time researching things. You spend a lot of time searching for home remedies or things that might help you in your current situation with your health. Maybe there's a search for fulfillment because your current job isn't really life-giving to you. It's life-draining and you're wondering, is there something more for me? Maybe your kids recently left the house and your primary role and responsibility as a parent, though that's still there, it's not quite the same and you're wondering, all right, so what, what's next for my life? Maybe you're in retirement and you're trying to figure out what's next, what, what is the next thing that's going to give me purpose and meaning? And maybe you have this sort of desire to have all the nice things, to have luxury, to look attractive to other people because there's this valuing of, of our own personal status, hoping that we've accomplished something great because we're comparing ourselves to other people. There's a lot of different ways that people are searching for fulfillment in their life. By means of health, by means of status, by means of wealth, relationships, whether that's friendships or relationships with significant others. But even with all of these things that we are pursuing, what we're going to find is ultimately those things are not satisfying. Ultimately those things do not bring fulfillment. There's that famous story of Alexander the Great who was famous for conquering most of the known world. And he reaches this point where he reaches the end of the continent. <laughs> he reaches the sea and the famous quote is, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. What happens whenever the thing that we're living our life for reaches its end? Being on the search for answers and fulfillment only to come out of it on the other side can make us feel empty or purposeless and it can be exhausting to be in that state. We are all looking for that missing puzzle piece that's gonna bring fulfillment, that's gonna scratch the itch in our lives that we need. But as Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. If we're honest with ourselves, the things that we live our lives for, once we get to the end of them, what we're gonna find is dissatisfaction and disappointment. And though we're all on a journey for looking and trying to find what that answer is for our lives, what is that thing that's gonna bring fulfillment? What's gonna be that thing that unlocks life for us? I believe in Revelation we see the answer. In Revelation chapter five, there's this vision of heaven that kind of mirrors chapter four. And if you would turn there, we're gonna start in verse one. It says, then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. So let's dig into this a little bit. So we see God the Father is holding a scroll in his right hand 
and it's locked behind these seven seals. And all of heaven is questioning, who can open this? And John looks around, and it seems like no one in heaven is able to do so. And he begins to, begins to weep bitterly. John is sensing the weight of this situation, which indicates that this is not just your average scroll. And the writing on both sides of that kind of indicates that. And it, it, it comes with this sort of weight that is, if the scroll is not opened, then the things that must happen will not happen. Things will be left unfulfilled. And this raises the question, what is the scroll? <laughs> what does this represent? And speaking of rabbit holes, I have read so many different interpretations of what the scroll is representing in Revelation. It will probably boggle your mind. But um, there's a lot of really interesting conclusions. So uh, stick with me here as I read some of these, because some of these might be things that you believe, or it might just inform you of some different possibilities of what this could mean. Some believe that this scroll is a scroll of judgment, and it, it kind of echoes Ezekiel chapter 2, in which Ezekiel is handed a scroll by God, and it's written on both sides as well, and it's primarily, primarily about um, woes and judgment. And each of the seven seals, as they're open, it has something to do with judgment, so I think there's some validity to that interpretation. Some think that this is, uh, kind of on the flip side, the book of life. And if you go to Daniel chapter 12, you see Daniel dealing with the book of life in which God tells him to seal up for a time in the future that he would not be a part of, technically, until he raises later. And also we see in chapter 3 of Revelation, there's talk of the book of life, and we circle back to that. So again, I think there's validity to an interpretation like that. Some think that the scroll is... Everything in Revelation after chapter five. So chapter six through the end of the book. Some people think the scroll is the entire book of Revelation. Some people think that the book is a allusion to the Ten Commandments because it was written on both sides as well. Some people think that it's sort of referencing all of scripture. And there's a lot of other interpretations, but those are just some of the more popular ones. And I, I really wrestled a bunch this week and my grand conclusion is I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what this is representing. But as I sat reading all of these interpretations and I tried to feel some of the weight in which John was feeling, I thought, what if it's all of it? Writing on the front and back would be unusual if it is a traditional scroll. It could be symbolizing the breadth and the depth of the knowledge and information that is contained within the scroll, that it does truly contain this special, unique message? What if the scroll is simply a symbol for all wisdom, all truth, all fulfillment, that it, it contains the plans of God, that it does contain the words of scripture, that it might have something to do with the book of life, but also future judgment and the, the ways in which God seeks to bring about the end? To me, especially reading the reaction of John, it really feels like if the scroll could not be opened, then God's plans could not be fulfilled. And that fulfillment is necessary. It felt, as I was reading it, it just felt in my heart like human destiny would not be realized if this isn't opened. Evil would not have its final day unless this was opened. God's people would not find salvation unless this was open. And I think John weeps at the weight of this sort of thing. So this raises the question, 
who or what is able to open this scroll, to unlock it. In verse five it says, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. So in the middle of John's weeping and the silence of heaven, there's this moment of, look, stop weeping because there is one who is worthy to open this. One that is the key one that is the answer for making what is inaccessible, accessible. He has already won the victory. He is the messianic king. He is the lion and the lamb, which signifies the paradoxical nature of Jesus, the great power and majesty, and yet the meekness and sacrificial love. And he's portrayed as a lamb standing as though slain, which those two words don't go together, right? Slain things don't stand. This is indicating that though he was sacrificed for the sins of the world, he's alive. He is resurrected. And because of his death and resurrection, he is worthy to take the scroll and open it. And he's portrayed with seven horns, which symbolizes complete power. And seven eyes, which symbolizes complete knowledge and truth. And it's pointing to the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent over every part of the earth signifying his complete presence. And he takes the scroll from the father who is on the throne, which demonstrates the authority, the royalty, the sovereignty of Jesus to be able to do that. It echoes what Matthew 28 talks about whenever Jesus says that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. It echoes John chapter one, in which Jesus is the word of God. And the word, the Greek word word, which is logos or logos, if you wanna be technical. It means more than just word. It's like the reason, the logic, the truth behind the universe. In John chapter one, it says that um, all things were made through him and he gave life and light to everyone, meaning that he is the one who gives the fulfillment for our souls that we are craving. It also echoes Colossians chapter one in which it says Christ is the image of the invisible God and he is supreme over all creation. All things were made through him and for him and he holds all creation together. And the really key part of Colossians one, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. In other words, Jesus is the key. He is the way to making all things right in the universe. He is the one who is of God. He is the one who is worthy to give us the satisfaction and fulfillment that we crave. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. Which leads to the most Sunday school statement you can possibly make and yet is entirely true. Christ is the answer. Whatever things in our lives that we think are a sufficient answer for us, they fall short. No one or no thing else is worthy. 
I think this is part of why God hates idolatry so much. Because he knows that whenever we substitute things for him, it's going to leave us dissatisfied. That we're missing out on the life that God really wants to give us. The key to unlocking life is not more money. It's not more achievement. It's not more influence in relationships or security or fun or power. The key is Christ. And this is such an important inclusion in the book of Revelation for the churches to hear because they are facing immense persecution. The Roman Empire is breathing down their neck and they are really questioning, is Christ really worth it? I mean, I can go with Rome. I can live an easier life, a safer life, a more comfortable life, a more luxurious life. Is it really worth holding on to Jesus? But John compellingly argues, and Christ alone is their victory. Through Christ, we are written in the book of life. Through Christ, judgment will come to pass. Through Christ, we see the fulfillment of scripture as he unlocks its meaning, as he teaches about in his own ministry. Christ is the answer, and he holds all truth in life. And I know it can be such a Christian cliche sort of thing to say that Christ is the answer. It can feel like a cop-out, right? But whenever he says in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. (laughs) It's more than just a cop-out of an answer. He is the way to salvation, the only way to salvation. He is the absolute truth, (laughs) meaning that there are no lies or no deception in him. He really and truly is the answer for the universe. And he is the life, the one that brings the greatest life fulfillment for each of us. Without Jesus, it is impossible to experience all that life has to offer. There is no other answer that we can find that is more fulfilling than Jesus. He is the way that unlocks all truth in life, and as such, he is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. And in experiencing this holy moment in Revelation, just imagine this with me. See heaven's reaction in verse eight. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. Seeing the victory of the lamb 
and the fulfillment of God's plans. It causes the rest of heaven, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, to fall to the ground worshiping him. Worshiping him with harps, by the way, and somehow they were, I guess, all in tune and it sounded good together. I guess that's how heaven works. But I would, I would imagine you get millions of people with harps. That could be, whew, sound more like a junior high band warming up. But, um, but really, <laughs> there's such beauty in this. And they're worshiping the lamb because he is the perfect Passover lamb. The perfect sacrifice that has ransomed us, that has reconciled us to be able to stand before the throne of God, all his holiness, all of his glory, and not perish. It is only through Jesus that that is possible. And it's not just us as individuals, it's all people, all tribes, tongues, and nations. This is a global thing. This is not just for a specific people group. This is for everyone. And through Christ, we are priests reigning on the earth, meaning that we are mediators between God and people, which again shows us how much God empowers us, right? But also how much responsibility we have in witnessing in a good way about our God. And then there's this really beautiful detail, I love this, about the prayers of God's people being held in golden bowls like incense. There's some temple imagery in this. But incense was a part of worship and sacrifice in the Old Testament. Our prayers are an outpouring, a form of precious worship to our God. They are placed in golden bowls, showing that these are sacred. These are not something that God just does away with. He collects them. This shows our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. This shows that our prayers are beautiful and cherished. Our blue prayer cards, in a way, are kind of like sacraments of this, which is a, a physical reality that's showing a deeper spiritual one. Those blue prayer cards aren't just cardboard blue paper. It's a form of incense to our God. And not, not only do we have people here praying over them, but it's collected up in heaven as well. Imagine the holiness of this moment. Can you feel the weepiness in a good way about what is happening? The moment of the transfer of the lamb before the throne taking the scroll as he's about to open it. Christ has made life, truth, accessible. Whenever we sing the words, worthy is the lamb who was slain, there is about an infinite amount of significance to that. Worthy is the lamb because the lamb is the answer for what we are searching for. If Jesus is the answer, if we really believe that Jesus is the key that unlocks everything for us, which if you read the early church authors and what they thought about Jesus, they saw Jesus in like every single scripture, <laughs> every single verse. They were trying to connect the dots to see where Jesus is in it. They really believe that he is the key. He is the answer. If we believe that, how much are we searching for him? How much of a rabbit hole do we go down for Jesus? If we believe that he is worthy of it all, if we believe that he is the answer, the way, the truth, the life, should we not be pursuing him more than all the other things that distract us? I've done this before and I'm sure I'm not alone, but there have been points in my life where it's just been like, God, just show yourself to me. 
Can I just see fire fall from heaven right now? And it's like, I'll do anything for you. I'll run through a wall if I see that. Anything, God, just speak to me. Do, do something. Why don't I ever see these miracles like other people did? Though we may feel that, I wonder how much are we actually searching for him? Jesus says, seek and you will find. Not do nothing and I will occasionally pop my head in, <laughs> right? There's a level in which we need to be seeking him out. We need to be living like him and then we're gonna see a lot more of these things playing out in front of us. I mean, if I spent half the time I did researching cars, <laughs> something that is meaningless, that is going to rust and decay, has no eternal significance, right? That's just a thing. If I spent even half of that time with Jesus, half of that time seeking him and asking him what he wants for my life and trying to see him in people around me, in situations around me, I wonder how much more fulfillment I could have had. I don't know about y'all, but... Um, I don't really have moments in my life where I spend all of my time doing something like scrolling Facebook or going down YouTube rabbit holes or binging an entire TV show for a day and at the end of it be like, oh, yes, that was the most fulfilling thing that I could have possibly done with that time. I don't ever feel that way. But I can tell you, whenever I spend time worshiping God, when I spend time with him, I always walk away being like, this is what I was created for. This is what is right. This is what is good. Because Jesus is the one that brings the most fulfillment. Jesus truly is the life. And listen, I, I get it. If you are going through a season in which reading scripture, trying to do that as a daily practice, or spending time in silence and prayer might feel like pulling teeth. I understand the feeling of being numb in your faith. I understand the, the seasons of darkness that you go through. And it can make it really hard to want to pursue Jesus. I know what it's like to feel like prayers are going unanswered. I've been through all those things and I know I will again. Life happens. But each time that I stick with Jesus and pursue him through the hardship, through the numbness, at the end of that rabbit hole is immense joy in Christ. As we see our time, our prayers, our conversations with God are like incense to him. He cherishes them. And though we may feel like God doesn't care about us or doesn't care about our relationship, and we may feel like it's numb, he has been listening and caring for us all along. And I normally, whenever I'm on the other side of these seasons of darkness, and I look back through the process, I can see how God was with me every single step of the way. He is with you, church, in every single moment of your life. He is in all things. He is with you, he hears you in your boredom, in your darkness, in your hardship. He's in nature, he's in people, he's in music, he's in laughing together, he's in crying together and serving one another. 
the truth and life that Jesus is offering is experienced in countless ways. And I love that song. I think it's the secret place that says, better is a moment that is spent with you than a million other days away. Because whenever we do life with Jesus, who really is the deepest reality behind the world, who is that one friend, who is that one constant in your life that will never leave you, everything in life changes. But God is with you in every single season, every single step of the way. Whenever you are experiencing that relationship, then you start realizing that there truly is nobody worthier than God. So I wanna challenge you this week. What if we as a church, and I'm including myself in this challenge, what if we as a church had a seven day trial period, like we do with subscriptions and whatever else, seven day trial period, in which we commit one thing in our life to being with God. Maybe that's the transitional time in our life. Maybe that's our morning commute to work. Maybe that's the time that we have to wait on people to do something for us. Or maybe that looks like waking up five minutes earlier, just five minutes, spending that time with Jesus in prayer, asking him to, to give you his eyes, his heart for people, to help you see where he is in the room. Or if you're not a morning person, five extra minutes at night. Just something simple like that. Or maybe it's a hobby that you have or a passion that you have and you ask the question, God, how can I bring you into this? How can I glorify the kingdom through the things that I care about? Or maybe while you're at work, thinking about how Jesus might transform that time or if you're at school with your friends, how that might shape your conversations. But think of something, just one small thing, one small step to commit to for a week that you wanna consecrate, that you wanna give over to God. And at the end of that week, look back, reflect, and see if you feel closer to God, more oriented towards love, more fulfilled than you would have otherwise. And maybe you can, in your own life, taste and see that God is good. We have had a lot of opportunities this past week, I think being closed indoors, the shaking up of rhythms a little bit to maybe start a new one. So why not today? So I wanna challenge you and me this week to spend time pursuing the answer behind the universe and at the end of the week just to reflect. So this week, may we seek Jesus and find the fulfillment that awaits. Lord, um, we have spent our lives searching for a lot of different things. Searching for the answers for personal fulfillment and looking in all the wrong places oftentimes. Lord, using the words of Psalm 51, grant us a willing spirit. Help us want to want to spend time with you. Help us to overcome whatever spiritual blocks or uh, blocks of selfishness or whatever it is. Help us to want to be with you. Help us to experience the life-giving, transformative joy that you are offering. Lord, give us hearts that hunger after you. 
And Lord, I pray that you help us to be a church that is just burning constant incense to you in our lives. That through the way that we treat people, our conversations, how we spend our time, how we talk to our spouses and our kids, how we talk to our parents, our grandparents, that we do it in honor of you. Help us to walk in step with your will, walk in step with your spirit. And Lord, give us the courage, give us the strength and the willingness to commit to one small thing this week, one thing that we can do to come closer to who is the greatest fulfillment of our lives and our souls. We pray this in your holy name.